today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Let me ask you this, the choices that you have made in your life, do you think you've ever struck God on the cheek by your actions, by your attitudes, and yet he turned his other cheek for you, didn't he? And he continued to make himself available to you. There's absolutely no place on earth that this kind of lifestyle makes sense, because this is a heavenly lifestyle. This is a kingdom lifestyle. When Jesus taught, he said to love your enemies. Jesus' words do not make sense to the unregenerated mind. How can we possibly love those who persecute us? In today's message from the Gospel of Luke, Pastor David teaches us that the only way to obey the Lord's commands is through the power of the Spirit working inside the believer. When we remember all that God did to forgive us, when we acted as his enemy, we can demonstrate his love to those who hate us. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, The Haves and the Have-Nots. or have you experienced events or situations in the world in this mortal life that have left you broken, that have left you wounded, left you filled with sorrow? Do you want to take a stand for Christ? Do you want to be found walking in righteousness while the world around you laughs at you, mocks at you, scorns you, calls you a fool? Well, remember the words of the psalmist. It says, weeping may endure for the night. But joy comes in the morning. You see, you and I as believers, this is no longer really and truly our home. We are aliens here. We are in a foreign land. And the more you and I recognize that and accept that in our lives, the greater joy that can fill our lives, even in the midst of the turmoil and the junk that goes on in this world. To know and to understand, you know what? This is temporary. This is but for a moment. Glory awaits. Glory awaits. I think we need to be more heavenly minded. As I've shared with you before, it's not so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. No, I believe you can be so heavenly minded that you finally are of earthly good. Because again, you're not overwhelmed by the things of this world. Jesus understood and he taught the disciples. He says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But what did he say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That ought to be a positive thing for us in the midst of all the stuff that we go through. We will go through stuff. There's no doubt about it. As believers, we will go through situations just like the rest of the world. Some are going to go through poverty. Some are going to go through sicknesses. Some are going to go through turmoil within their life. But for the believer, we need to understand 
that our God is greater than all of these, and he is working a great plan all around us. In response to the situations that his disciples found themselves in, Jesus drew their attention away from that all-consuming temporary to the splendor and to the wonder, to the majesty and to the hope that's found in eternity, that eternal kingdom of God. He And after that, after he spoke those things, then he turns his attention, I believe, to the have-nots, to those who don't possess the kingdom of God. Look at what it says in verse 24. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers in the false pro- or to the false prophets. Now, you, you, you do see the, the complete opposite of what he's saying here to, from the blesseds now to the woes. We see that, again, we need to be really careful in understanding what he's saying and what he's not saying. If you read this without understanding the context and the purpose of the teaching, you're going to come away with some pretty strange doctrines. You're going to come away with the fact that it's a sin to be rich. Jesus said it right there. Woe to you who are rich. Is it a sin to be rich? No, it's not. It depends upon how you use your riches. You would probably think that you should never have a full belly. As a matter of fact, he says, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. So that doesn't, you know, that, that means you sinned on Thanksgiving morning and you're getting ready to sin again on Christmas morning. That's not what he's speaking about. Oh, and some of you laughed. And you call yourself a Christian and you laugh? The, the, the word says, woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you. It's a sin? No, that's not what he's saying. Remember here, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to be a true disciple. And then he's comparing those that haven't with those who have not. Those who don't have the Lord in their lives. And if you find, I believe that what he's saying, that if you find your full satisfaction in the riches and in the resources and in the pleasures of this world, then you probably really don't have the kingdom of God living in you. If you can find your satisfaction in all the things that are temporary, then maybe really and truly there's a different spirit that lives in you. If you're looking more for the kudos and the applause of man than you care about pleasing Almighty God, then you really don't have the kingdom of God living in you. Because if the kingdom of God is abiding in you, you'll never be fully satisfied with the things of this world. Now, don't get me wrong. I I love my family. I love our time together. Man, it's such a blessing. But I understand those are only temporary. I love having good time and good fellowship with other believers. But I understand that's only temporary. I love being able to pay my bills. I love being able to put food on the table. And I love a good meal. But it's all temporary at best. I think it's why the Apostle Paul felt it was really important to tell the church, tell those who profess a belief in Christ, to examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? 
Where's your focus? Where's, where's the purpose of your life? I believe that more than anything else, Jesus is speaking here. And after Jesus emphasizes the differences between the haves and the have-nots, he continues by telling those who have the kingdom already living in them how their walk ought to look, how their lives ought to be lived, and how their commitment to him ought to be played out. So now he goes back to speaking to those who are disciples, those who have it, those who get it, who understand it. Jesus explains to them, beginning in verse 27. He says, but I say to you who hear. In other words, if you have ears, hopefully you're hearing. More than just hearing in that practical sense. But this is a spiritual understanding. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You know what? I love reading and seeing the teachings of Jesus that make absolutely no sense. That they are, again, it speaks to us of that bizarre plan of God. This does not make any sense. To love my enemies? Logically, that doesn't make sense. I want to destroy my enemies in the flesh. He says, do good to those who hate you? Absolutely not. Tit for tat. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Hey, it's Old Testament Bible. I know it. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Bless those who curse me? Are you kidding? I can't do that. As a matter of fact, neither can you. Not unless the Spirit of God is abiding within us. And you see, once again, that becomes a real good test of whether the Spirit of God is abiding within you. Are you able to love your enemies? Are you able to do good to those who hate you? Are you able to bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you? Are you able when one strikes you on one cheek to simply turn the other and from him who takes away your cloak to say, hey, you know what? Here, take this too. And you give him your tunic. Let me ask you this. Why in the world would God have us do that? Why in the world would we as a people subject ourselves to such abuse? Let me ask you this. In the choices that you have made in your life, do you think you've ever struck God on the cheek by your actions, by your attitudes? And yet he turned his other cheek for you, didn't he? And he continued to make himself available to you. There's absolutely no place on earth that this kind of lifestyle makes sense because this is a heavenly lifestyle. This is a kingdom lifestyle. And in this, you see the grace and the long-suffering and the patience of God being demonstrated here in a very practical sense. And if you don't believe in God, then I don't see or realize, uh, I I wouldn't see or realize his grace. I wouldn't realize his long-suffering. I wouldn't know his patience. Now, don't get me wrong, for an atheist who doesn't believe in God, they, they, they are still a huge recipient of the grace and the long-suffering 
and the patience of God. And an atheist that, that says there is no God or one who is antagonistic against God and, and curses God, they still receive his grace, his long-suffering, and his patience. It's not saving grace until they come by faith to him. But yet they still are recipients of a portion of that grace. Otherwise, that atheist would be that smell of burnt toast that you smell in the air. Amen? God would say, you don't believe in me? You're gone. You curse me? Bam, you're gone. But that's not how God works. It's not how he worked in your life or mine. And that's not how he works in the unbeliever's life even today. He still extends his grace, his long-suffering, and his patience. God, in his patience, still endures the foolishness of man. God, in his long-suffering, bears with the futility of man. And God, through his grace, continues to show his great mercy towards man. Otherwise, it would have been over a long time ago. Hopefully, he would have waited till I got in the kingdom. But he, he, he could have very easily and been just in doing a total wipeout again of the world. But that's not the way God is. That's not the modus operandi of God. That's not the way that he is. That's not the spirit that he is. And you know what? He expects his children, that's you and I, to be a viable, practical, and living example of his person to the lost and dying world that's all around us. That's the only way that that could make sense. That's the only way that we could look at, why would I love my enemies? Because God loves his enemies. And I'm his child. And so I want to demonstrate the reality and the truth of Almighty God by the actions of my life to the world that's around me. How in the world can I pray for those who spitefully use me? Jesus prayed for those while he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them, because I don't know what they're doing. And you and I are his children, and we ought to be demonstrating the very heart and the mind, the attitude of Christ to this lost, dark, and dying world. Peter understood that concept. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 how we ought to live our lives as believers. He says we ought to live our lives honorably among the Gentiles. That's the non-believers. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, by your good works, which they observe. In other words, no hidden secret believer. No, good works that they observe. They'll glorify God in the day of visitation. And I believe that that day of visitation is when the Lord calls them to himself. Not not the day of judgment, but the day that the Lord speaks to someone in their heart and draws them to himself. And they can say, you know what? I really and truly believe there is a God because I saw it worked out in my friend's life. I saw it worked out in my family member's life. I saw it worked out and, and lived out in my co-worker's life and in my neighbor's life. Because when the body of Christ is living out the truth of God in our lives, in the choices that we make, then we do become that light on the hill then we do become an example for people to see and understand the reality and the truth, not only of God, but of his kingdom's work all around us. Jesus went on to instruct those who had committed themselves to follow him as a disciple. 
He taught them about his teachings, his, his life. He gave them an eternal lesson, and he gave them the reason for choosing this type of lifestyle. What does it say in verse 31? Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Now, again, this kind of sounds wonderful just in itself. Hey, if you want people to be nice to you, then you be nice to them. But again, that's not the way it works. That's the way we think. But that's not the way it works here. We think that this is a cause and effect statement, that if you'll be nice, then others are going to be nice to you. That does not happen. I don't know if you found that out yet or not, but that does not happen in real life. And this is nowhere near what Jesus was trying to instill into those that were listening to him that day. And again, he is showing them the Father's heart and the Father's compassion. In essence, what he's saying is, you know how you want to be treated. You know how you want others to act and respond to you. Well, that's the kind of life you need to be living and giving to them. Not in order to get back from them that, but just because you know what's right. You know how you want to be treated. You want to be treated with respect and with care and concern. Then treat others with respect and care and concern. You don't want to, you don't want to be uh, taken in and accused of things and, and dealt with harshly even when you do blow it. You want mercy, don't you? So, as you would that men would do to you, do that way to them. You want mercy? You need to be living mercy. You need to be demonstrating. No, not that you can receive it back. Understand, that is not the reason why we're doing this. We're doing this because it is the heart and the mind and the work of God living within our lives, not in order to get treated another way. These others may never be gracious, and yet we, as representatives and as children of the Most High God, we should always be gracious. Let me say that again, because it's hard to say, because it's hard to swallow, and it's hard to digest for every one of us. Even when others are not gracious, as children and representatives of the Most High God, you and I should always be gracious. We should show mercy even when they don't deserve mercy. We should give forgiveness, even when they don't merit forgiveness. How can you say that, Pastor? Because I've been a recipient of that through Christ, and so have you, and because that's what the Word of God says. Do you see how this points back to living our lives continually to God's glory? Not in order that we might receive back. No, but just simply to give God the glory. Jesus is talking about the Father's kingdom. He's talking about our responsibilities as part of that kingdom. And then he goes on and he makes it even clearer. Look at verse 32. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? I mean, even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. Again, it comes back to attitude. It comes back to motivation of our hearts. 
I mean, let's face it, even a lost person will love somebody that loves them. You love me, oh, I love you too. Oh, you don't love me anymore? Well, I don't love you anymore either. That's the way. That's the way of the world. I mean, even a pagan will do something good for someone if they're going to get something good in return. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, even the mafia does good. Hey, you want to make you a great deal? You make me a great deal. We'll work this thing out. They care nothing about God. That's just the way they are. And even the wicked will lend you money. It might be at 35 or 39 percent, but they will lend you money. And that's what he's saying. What's the difference? You and I ought to be living different than that. What Jesus is saying is you and I need to be living our lives with different motives and with different expectations. Verse 35 says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward is going to be great because you are sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Did you catch that? Why are we doing that? Because he's kind to the unthankful and the evil. Why do I do that? I'm his child, and I want to be a demonstration of who he is to the world that's around me. And if he loves the unthankful and the evil, guess what? I, as his child, need to have that same kind of attitude. Again, he is explaining to them the heart of the Father. And once again, he declares to them, man, this, this is a bizarre plan. You're not going to hear this in the world. The only place you and I are going to hear this is from the Spirit and the heart of God. He says in verse 36, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. You see, the haves need to live a whole lot differently than the have-nots. Not in order that we might get, but because we are part of the Father's kingdom, because we are children of the Almighty, and our lives need to be a continual, constant demonstration of that truth and that reality. There's two types of people in the world, the haves and the have-nots. Do you know which one you are? It's an easy test. For those who have not, They continue to seek their own desire. They follow their own plans. They find satisfaction in the things of this temporary world. And in all that they do, they do it with the motivation of what's in it for me. That's the have-nots. But for the haves, those are the ones who are part of the kingdom of God. And living in them is a continual desire to live their lives for the glory of God and to bring honor to his name. They are willing to give. They are willing to serve. They are willing to be that demonstration of the grace and the long-suffering and the patience of Almighty God for this reason. Father, that you might receive glory. That Jesus might be exalted in my life. Are you a have or are you a have not? What's the motivation of your life? What's the attitude and direction of your life? Open 
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.